0: Having a Gas is the podcast that chats to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for cooking to, for dancing to, for f-ing to, and more. Today, I'm having a gas with Sue Higgs, a high-flying creative with a raft of experience at top agencies, including Ogilvy, Publicis, Avas, and Grey. Sue tells me about everything, from her accidental nudge into the industry from a careers officer at school, Becoming a highly sought-after creative director. Hello there. How are you?
1: I'm oh, good, thank you. How are you, Greg? Are you alright?
0: I'm Don't coping. You. Yeah. I'm. Um, I'm. No, I'm doing absolutely fine. Yeah. This is a uh, our studio, so we're back in.
1: Ah, uh, who's that? Who's that? Is that? It's a bit blurry. Is that the Sex Pistols?
0: That's the Clash.
1: The Clash. It's really blurry, and I. Yeah. Got, I think my eyes have got worse in lockdown. I've stared at too many screens. Yeah. So. No.
0: Believe it or not, our mutual friend Sally Miller uh, said the exact same thing. Uh, we were doing a, a pitch to her and her team at Hogarth and she just went, Is that the sex based to all that there? <laughs> ah,
1: yeah, that's Miss Sal. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, she was um, great.
1: Yeah, she's good, isn't she, old Sal? Yeah. I spoke, because she's doing it, because I obviously work at Grey and um, she's sort of doing a sort of work with Grey, which I haven't worked with her forever. It's not actually directly with me, but... But yeah, so it's really good to kind of connect. I oh, mean, I've obviously known her forever, but sort of actually have her in our metaphorical building because obviously no one's. So you're in, a, you're actually in the building.
0: Yeah, yeah, we are for real. We're in here. I mean, we started coming in about a month ago um, because the whole place was deserted. No one was in, so we thought got it to ourselves. They've installed a load of hand sanitizer stations, so we can just get on. And there's only uh, about three of us in here. So I've got this room. Aaron's got that room, and Gary's got the office.
1: You're quite. In your own little space anyway, aren't
0: you? I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it's all good as opposed to I don't I've not been to Great yet, but I'm guessing it's like all the agencies, you've got about a hundred people packed into a floor or something like that.
1: It's like a call centre, it's quite open plan.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. It's
1: kind of um Yeah, it's it's very it's we I mean I to be honest, I don't really miss the office that much. I miss I miss things about people, but I don't actually miss the office so much really at all. I mean it's like
0: take or leave it. Yeah. Yeah. As this um, this is something I spoke to um, uh, when I was speaking to Rory Sutherland. um, He was like, I'm actually quite liking this lockdown thing. I stay at home. I can work in the garden. And maybe it's at at a certain point, you know, because I'm 27 I'm still like, oh, you need to be in amongst people, metropolitan.
1: I yeah, I do think it's hard. I was actually speaking to someone yesterday about this, about if you're like a younger kid and you need to learn off other people and you need to sort of understand what the culture is of an agency, so you need to be able to walk up to people and go, excuse me, could you let me know about this? Or I really think that's tough. I find that that bit is going to be quite tricky about how we get the next generation into a culture that isn't really visible at the moment do you know what I mean yeah
0: I do know and, what you mean
1: and and how and how we because when you know you learn from other people you're like you're in a meeting and someone says oh you've got five minutes do you want to do this and because there's so much structure around the way that our days are I mean my diary is like a game of Jenga it's literally just you know like everything's in allotted slots isn't it and there's very little time to sort of talk shit basically which exactly is, and I think the talking shit bit is the bit that we're all missing a bit.
0: Yes, it's half, um, well, it's a great deal of the actual creative uh, process, isn't it? It's spontaneous, oh. it's random, you need things to clash into other things and form new ideas.
1: Yeah, and I And I think creativity for me is a bit of a, it's a happy accident nine times out of ten. You know, you just, you know, you don't. It, it's not a job whereby you walk it, you clock in at night and go, I've just put my brain on, that's fine. And then I'm just clocking out at five, yes. I've just turned it off. It's with you. So, you know, if you're not, you know, often the office is the real, it's exactly not the right place to think. So you sort of pop out for a coffee or a drink or a walk or a wander or a gallery or a whatever, bookshop, whatever it may be, and inspiration strikes. So it does feel odd. As much as I've liked it, especially when you're a little bit stressed because you don't dilute yourself in the world. Because, you know, normally if you have a bit of a bad day, you walk, you know, with your AirPods in, listening to something, putting yourself in a different frame of mind. You dilute yourself on the tube, you look and you're you're off. Whereas if you're sitting in your own thoughts all the time, it's quite odd. Yeah. God. I think
0: it's the it's the it's the accounts and the um and the finance team bringing the creatives into their environment instead of vice versa. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean a lot. But I mean, it, it has felt. I mean, it's sort of. I think this old uh, this pandemic, you know, as we did, the corona coaster as it's called, hmm. has its has its sort of it's moved forward. Thank God now, you know, because there was one point where it was the bleakest. You know, when it was all sad piano and t- t- we're all in this together and five o'clock briefings and you know that was the real kind of obviously the the eye of the storm yes um, and we and no should we no one really left the house unless it was utterly you know it was all awful whereas now I live near um Portobello Road yeah
0: um,
1: where it's about 20 minute walk 30 minute walk and there's life and it's so nice to see life. You know, people are actually sitting outside cafes and, you know, like there's little market stalls again and people are, you know, there's a bit of bustle and it's nice.
0: What do you make of the sort of mild agoraphobia that some people have developed about, oh, what are you doing going outside? Why do you want to go to the pub?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I think if you're like that anyway, it's made it worse. I don't know if you become like that if it wasn't in you already, if you know I mean. I think, you know, because some people have got that sort of slightly, you know, like, I mean, I was brought up by my father. Unless you're sort of um, arms hanging off, you're absolutely fine, you know, unless, I mean, which, to be honest, is probably not good because nowadays you sneeze, you have to isolate, whereas, you know, that's counter to everything I knew when I was a kid, which was, you know, you you keep going. Unless you're on death's door, you keep going. Yeah. I haven't... I, I don't really... I, there was a point when you'd cross someone in the street and they'd literally jump out their skin if you got close, but that sort yes. of behavior. But you imagine they would have been like that. Any, do you know what I mean? Yes,
0: yeah. If, so... The people who have a sort of propensity towards neuroticism in general. Yeah, being, quite, I think,
1: yeah. I, I mean, not being a, a, a doctor or anything, but it, it appears that it's pushed that further as opposed to if you're not particularly, Is like, I know friends who are maybe mildly hypochondriac. Um, it's made them worse, you know, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to sort of like someone like me, I'm a bit like, What will be will be K Sarra. I mean, you you obviously wash your hands. I've just been out with my mask and Mm. and um, I look like a dirt biker in my mask, but one of those big like cycling ones. And Mm. I had my glasses on, and it literally covers the whole of your face. It's it's yeah, it's it's quite a look.
0: It's made a mockery of how much CCTV we've put everywhere over the last twenty years.
1: Oh my lordy, exactly. And also, like I'm, I always think about. you know, what about people that, that um, lip read? What about people who like follow people's faces and look, and it, and, and also I was thinking, cause I'm, I quite like smiling at people and I was thinking, yeah. cause what? I, and I, I had to have a blood test. I mean, nothing serious. I just was having a, a blood test because uh, just a small thing. And, um, I, the woman was really nice and I was like, oh, I, I said, I'm trying to smile at you and I said, I can't smile and she's like, "No, people are learning, trying to emote with their eyes and I was like, trying to think, how can I smile with my eyes? Like, puss out of um, Shrek, you know, when like you're trying yeah. to emote with your eyes because normally you just those little looks and, and again, that's the, um, you know, the, the non-verbal communications that we're all missing on the screens is being able to read the room, not the Zoom and being able to you know, just nod at someone or raise an eyebrow or smile or just connect in a different way that isn't language. It's, it's, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. And so um going back a bit for you, uh, whereabouts, I'm guessing you were raised in London, just judging by the accent.
1: You know what? That is hilarious. Everyone thinks that. I know. Oh my I
0: goodness. Speak, Have I got it wrong?
1: I speak quite so funny. I've got, I've got three children, my two daughters, Always say, why do we have such nice speaking voices new Dan? i'm an anomaly, my fan. I was born and bred in surrey um and my they my par well my father died last year, but my um my mom and my dad are the only one that speaks like me, but I think that's because i've lived longer in London than I did in Surrey. I left when I was eighteen, so therefore. You kind of pick up what's around you, I guess. I'm quite a little sponge. I will, I guess. If I lived in Australia, I would have an Australian accent. If I lived in Manchester, I'd have a Manchester. I just think I'm quite a. But I'm no, I'm not a London. Although I suppose I am a Londoner now because I've lived here longer, like I say, than I lived um, at home. But I'm I'm actually a country girl in Surrey.
0: That's really interesting, though, isn't it? That because the first 18 years of your life feel so long you can't help but identify with, oh, I'm from Surrey. Well, I've been in London for far more years than I was in Surrey, but...
1: Yeah, exactly. I know it freaks me out. Well, I, so this house I live in now that, um, is 20... I've lived here 20 years, which is longer than I lived in my house when I was a kid, which is really quite freaky because I sort of think that I've lived here I lived at home forever because your childhood feels so long. Mm. Actually, in real time, you know, I've lived here longer, which is really quite freaky.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's
0: yeah. starting to catch up. So, was it uh, you moved to London at eighteen, and was that was that for the creative circuit?
1: Yeah. So I I did my I sort of accidentally fell into advertising. It wasn't like, sorry. Somebody's guys. <laughs> <Hi>. Just- <laughs> it's all good. Um, I did my A-levels and I had a year out because when I was a kid, I had a Mark my first car was a Mark 1 Capri. I had a beautiful Mark 1 Capri, KUD 569L, beautiful car. And um, But I owed my father quite a lot of money to pay for that, so I thought I'd have a year out. Got a job and I think it was like, I couldn't do anything. I was like, but I've got 10 O-levels and three A-levels and I can't do anything. So I got this job, it was like, it was about 75 quid a week. Yeah. Like I worked at um, photocopying, I was worked in a di- um, photo place, and I thought, "Why am I going to uni to learn and not be able to do anything?" At the end, I really wanted to be able to do something. So I called, as you could do in those days, a um, careers careers advisor, and I said, "Look, I'm quite creative, but I can't draw. My art shocking. Mm. I had would scrape my way through an art um, O level and a designer, but I mean rubbish. I mean it was it was sympathy that did that." And um, I said, but I have ideas, but I I thought that you had to be able to draw or do some kind of art. And they said, well, why don't you do advertising? I thought, yeah, that's, yep, why not? And so I kind of talked my way into the Hounslow Borough College course in, um, well, in Hounslow, um, which had a really good reputation. Loads of advertising greats went through there, the the, um, college tutor Dave Um, Morris, it's incredible, had a, like, uh, Rich um, Flintstone and Andy, his partner, um, went through there, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, of really great alumni went through there. So I went, so I started, I I went from Leafy Surrey to Hounslow, which was quite a culture shock, and then just inched my way into London as I was sort of going onto placements and getting jobs and, and trying to sort of find my way in the advertising world. Yeah. So, so that was my kind of, it was a bit of an accident. I think everything, I mean, my whole, I think I never had a master plan. I sort of, it was all a little bit by chance and falling into things. And, you know, then I ended up living in Notting Hill because my my dad was, got remarried, and I met a really mad old cousin. of mine hadn't seen, and he said, Do "You want a flat in Notting Hill?" I went, "Yes, please!" And he yeah. just, said, please, "Please." So I ended That's how I live in West London because my because my cousin gave me a flat, my second cousin who I'd never met before. So it's all a bit kind of stumbling and making up as I go along. Which, which have ne- there's never been a master plan.
0: No, but that's uh, that's a good thing. Part of what I like, part of the angle for this is I'm always liking to get people's story about how they got into it because i do think particularly in advertising but in general young people have no idea how to get into things it's it's really good to know that there's not a that that if you can't see the the front door don't worry you're not insane because there isn't an obvious front door you can't there
1: isn't i mean i think it's i think it's now the courses are a lot more um set up like you can do a degree in advertising now which you which you Mine was an HND. It's a higher national diploma. It wasn't so much as an accreditation because in those days there was a lot more art schools and also students were given grants, which I know is a thing of the past. So it was a bit more meritocratic. So a lot more, you didn't have to have money in order to able to be a student because you could get a grant. And even I got um, housing benefit, which was extraordinary. So, you know, it was easier to support kids from all kind of backgrounds. This is, I think, one of the major, massive issues for me because when I was younger, it wasn't just people who could afford to go to uni to get an, a a a a degree. It was people who were just. I mean, I know loads of people who I was who were. Um, I worked with who didn't have any qualifications, were brilliant at art, went to art school and then went into commercial art. I mean, hundreds of who are now really highly paid um, directors. And I just wish that path was there a little bit more for people because you can't always put a qualification on a talent. And I think that's why I would like to say that if you do have ideas, you should still keep trying to get, in because your ideas are king and, and your creativity and you can, and I guess with the advent of the internet, you can ex- get to people a bit quicker and, you know, because like when we were young, you literally had to go and visit people, but now you can have, an, you know, a sort of digital kind of exchange and send stuff in a way that, you know, when I was, was kind of younger, it was all like portfolios and you had to carry this huge, this sort of A2 or A3 kind of black zippy fold around and it was a cumbersome thing you know, to sort of get in front of people. Whereas now I think you can, you know, get in front of people, hopefully slightly easier.
0: And so how do you feel about the nature of the uh, the work that's coming out now? Because, you know, I've I've only got into the industry in the last three years. Mm-hmm. And the more I talk to people, the more I get the sense that people think, oh, things were great in the 90s. And mm-hmm. now they're a, they're a little bit fearful of, digital, you know, clients are going and putting everything into, you know, big data. Um, yeah. How does it, does it feel different to how it was when you came massively,
1: in? Massively. Massively. Yeah. Because I think it felt simpler because I think it was simpler because I mean, God, I'm going to, without making myself sound like a, like a dinosaur, it was analog. This is, So this will make you laugh. So when I was, um, when i first got my job i worked at loward spink which was an amazing agency there was like one of the greats and it was even pre pre uh, word processors so i had right. to when i had to write copy write it in pencil it, but it was literally it was an art form copy was an art form and it, there was a head of copy and you had a copy brief and it was all signed off and I would literally hit myself because I was like oh my god I've got to do this so I'd but so I'd write it all in pencil rub it out write it rub it out and like spend you know sweat sweater yeah. so. and the same as I was writing a TV spot the same as I was, and then what I had to do was I had to take it to a secretary to type it up for me now when I first joined I was the first woman that got hired in about three years, and um, they hated me. Oh my, Because I was, it was this kind of who is she? and, and You know, and, you know, they kind of wanted to be the queen bees, and there was this kind of quite um, energetic, lively sort of mucking about, trying, ever so funny. Obviously, kind of women in this department they were a bit like, oh, where does she go? Not so much on her. So I would say, um, you know, I really need to get this type, and they grab it off me and, you know, like throw it back at me. And um, I'd be like, oh, I'd go through i think, oh, God, no, actually, I need to change that bit. You know, it's not like delete. No, you can do it on your – I mean, I watch people doing it on their phone. And so, so um, like, i um I like, oh, you need to change it. Grab it off me and throw it. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: and then after about six months, the head secretary said to me, we've decided you're all right. And I said, thank you. So kind of. But But just by saying that, you know, things were slower, <laughs> you know, and we had – had, there was a bit more time. I mean, I know I sound – making me sound like a dinosaur, but – you know, there was the time, there wasn't this kind of constant pressure of now, 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 you know, you're you're constantly forced to be brilliant now. It's like you could be brilliant over, I mean, you're lucky to get the over lunchtime test, let, let alone the overnight test, you know, whereas there was always, and there was sort of things were on the wall and you'd stand and you'd pop would have walked past and go, oh, that's interesting. Have you done that? Whereas now we're all a bit more in our laptops. We're a bit more yeah. headphones on, headphones in. It felt a bit more open and a bit maybe a bit. I think it was because it was slower. And like, if, I mean, for example, if you wanted, you like now, if I if I want to find an image of a a duck skateboarding, I type it. Like you'd have to. Kind of right. I need to go to a bookshop. I need to find a book. You'd go to a bookshop, you'd, you'd pour over books and you'd find, oh, that's interesting. So you were constantly at a pace, a, a sort of real time pace, as opposed to everything is now. And yeah. again, I guess, and it goes a bit with, uh, you maybe will see with production. Like, so when we, when we would make a commercial, everything was shot on film. And you would shoot, there, was, there wasn't was any kind of shoot the board, you know, because basically, you know, the storyboard artists basically and nine times out of ten end up, nowadays end up directing the film because they, they want to stick to the board. Whereas you'd have a script and, and everything would be shot wide, mid and close. And then you'd get, you wouldn't know what the edit was until you got the edit. So then yeah. you'd, go, you'd shoot it all on film. You'd go to like a a little view in theatre in Soho, Mr Young's I remember was one, there was one on Wardour Street as well, can't remember its name, um, and you'd watch all your rushes and it would go, so it was exciting because you could see everything, that's what we've shot and then it would go into like, they'd find the edit, you know, in a Steinbeck, you know, I do sound like I'm a dinosaur, I'm so sorry, Okay. But, 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 the, but the exciting thing about this is it was deconstructed you know how everything worked and then that was your offline because it was literally it hadn't been put together and you could see it all being put together but there was none of that I mean I guess now you, um, you'll you know that there was no oh that film's you had to look at the edit that was the edit and that's what we were looking at whereas now because it's all digital be like yeah yeah but what's the film like and that's a bit dark or actually what's the music it's like well that's later, we have mm. to focus on the edit. Whereas because it was so much more um, drawn out instead, not drawn out, it was just, you could see stage by stage, you had a lot more time to craft and go, is this the right edit? Be- Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, of course. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was great. It was really good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Ben Kay the other day for this, and he was saying that, um, you know, the great irony of the fact that as our, technology becomes more useful, quicker, more complicated. Um, at one point, you could make the argument that they were made to save time and make things easier. Whereas what happens is, you know, we save time on tasks we already do, which brings out a void so we can fill that with more things. Yeah. We can do more things.
1: Yeah, and, and it, it, it's it's extraordinary. Uh, yeah, this the. the, the, the the speed in which everything is, I, d- I don't really, I don't know. It doesn't bring greatness. There's no, I don't know where the algorithm is that says the faster you go, the better it is. In yeah. fact, you could argue the other way. But um, so I guess it felt slower, but in a way that wasn't because it was slow. It was because there was a lot more time to think. Yeah. And this con and, and things weren't quite maybe as global. There wasn't so many networks, there wasn't so much it was a lot more of a cottage industry, you know, you kind of and you it, it, you were as it was fun actually. We were we yeah. loved a lot. So how does
0: your how does it compare now? You're a group creative director and so what does that entail? Is that keeping on top of a lot of people and
1: yeah. you know, Lots of people, lots of people and lots of pieces of business, really. I mean, there's certain big pieces I look after all the time, but at the moment I'm doing a pitch, but I have teams that I, I teams that work into me, depending on project and just teams that I look after in my group. Um, but I try and, I try and speak with everybody, especially now, because like I say, back to what we were talking about, um, especially the younger teams who don't haven't seen or been around or understand where the sides are maybe as much as someone with a bit more experience, you know, to just check in on them because I think it can be very isolating. I mean, you know, I sometimes find it isolating and I should know better. Um, and, you know, it's really, especially also if they're teams when they're not even sat with their partners, you know, which, you know, they used to kind of be with. So I think it can be, I think half your job is to, make sure everyone's okay in order to do their best work. That's what I see one of my roles is. Just because if you're in a bad space, you can't do your greatest work. So you have to nurture and support as much as you can in order for people to feel safe and confident and and robust enough in order to be able to produce their best work. Because fear doesn't bring good work.
0: No. So do you try and shield them from... Uh, what would you say? You know, sort of client pressure your lower teams like this needs to be um, done now and whipping the creatives.
1: Yeah, I mean that, and just keep them away from as much bullshit as possible. I mean, you have to nod to it because it's not like you're trying. It's just they don't have to see everything all the time, you know, because it's because it can be quite soul destroying. I think if you see absolutely everything, I mean, yeah. I'm, paint, I'm paint I'm paint It's not. I'm painting the bleakest picture to tell the story. It's not that it's always bleak because it's not. But um, it's just more... There is there is quite a lot of bullshit involved, as we know. It feels like there is more than there ever was. Um, and it's just keeping their heads in a clear space in order to be able to create, because you can't create when your head's just spinning with what the hell does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, and, and also we don't have to know, my job is to try and hopefully just um, process some of it in order to be useful, as opposed to sort of like, get people confused with not knowing what's going on
0: yeah what do you make of the current deluge of brand purpose creative material that's not in the honor of you know not in the aid of selling more stuff
1: well i mean i think it has to be authentic because i think i think you know there's the old adage, isn't it um uh was it? Oh, I can't. Again, look, I can't remember the name. But basically someone said, you know, half only half of my advertising works. The trouble is I don't know which half. Yes. And, and 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 so, you know, sometimes you don't really know why something is selling. It doesn't have to be hard sell to sell. And so I think brand purposes are wonderful so long as you're not adding it in at the end as an extra ingredient, as long as it comes from a source of um, purity and authenticity because you will get called out quite right. I mean, obviously someone like Patagonia who like imbues that sense of purpose and is very clear about who they are, how they behave, what they do. Fantastic. But, and you know, Patagonia, they don't directly, you know, put pictures of coats up, but you know their brand. And, and you know, they say, you know, the biggest, um, the most valuable media space is someone's brain. So, you know, like I know that I know what, who, what Patagonia stand for and why I like them and I, they're, they're front of mind when I purchase without having them to you know see hundreds of rows of coats and go, or bags or, do, do you know what I mean yeah. so I think it, it stems from authenticity because yeah. you can't bullshit that stuff
0: It's interesting that you say um, someone's mind is the most valuable media space I heard a marketing yeah. director say that last summer he was saying that the space in your mind for non-alcoholic beverages owned by Coca-Cola because they've been advertising so well for the last 50 years. And that, I think that's where consumers get suspicious of our industry because they it can be interpreted as you're trying to brainwash me into buying stuff. Whereas I take, I take the view that the really good, really great creative work is worth seeing and worth having for its own sake. And then, you know, yeah. the- the brand goes on at the end and you go okay well played you know you watch surfer and you go all right guinness good work you know and then guinness becomes cool because they've made all these cool films in service of the brand
1: and and i and i think it is the most amazing thing about guinness stuff is a product truth demonstrated in the most beautiful way you know it, it's it's not that it's just for the sake of it it's the most creative expression of one of its incredible brand truths. I mean, that film is would stand up, you know, if that got released now, you'd, everyone, I mean, obviously the uh, graphics would be different and all that, and all the CD, it would be different. I mean, would it be better? I don't know. But the sound on that is phenomenal, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and, and and obviously the the voice, everything about that is beautiful because when you get a great idea, you just add the craft, every layer of what you do, you know, you, it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know, but it, but it's, but, and that's why it's timeless because it's a truth, you know, yeah. It's it wasn't, it wasn't just a, you know, trend thing that they, excuse the pun, surfed at the time. It's, it's an actual product truth. It's actually, you know, who who they are and what they imbue. So I think it's like, it's a, it's
0: a seminal piece of work. It's amazing, yeah. Yes, because I, I still, I am um, envious of advertising creatives because I can't imagine making that leap because we work in music. It's a different paradigm. So the idea is, what's a bad thing about the product? Guinness. Well, it takes an hour to pour one. It's a pain in the ass. Well, some things are worth waiting for. Mm. What else is worth waiting for? And then you've got the surfers have to wait for their wave to come along. Here's yeah. the waiting. Great idea. Yeah
1: it's it's yeah it's and that's where you know it's the lateral thinking sometimes and that's the creative leap and that's the excitement because you don't you know the, the and also imagine that as a a script i mean it probably it would have been like nothing on paper because again nowadays it's quite difficult to get the imagination of a or or the trust of a client who will you go look there's some waves and there's a horse and stuff and oh, what you know, like, and and, yes. and, and it, w- it wasn't done and they, they, they wouldn't have been able to search the internet and go, look, they've done it before because they hadn't done it. But, you know, so it, there's an incredible amount of trust and, and all that kind of stuff in there. So,
0: Do you feel like there's, um, there is uh, less creative uh, courage at the moment in the industry to go to the client and go, this idea is bonkers, but we have to go with it because...
1: I think it's a difficult time at the moment, yeah. I think, I think it depends on who the client is, what relationship you have with them and what their needs are because I think you always have to be brave in what you do because that should be at the heart of all creativity. But, but, but as long as it comes with, from a place of integrity and authenticity, then it sort of almost isn't brave, if you know yeah. what I mean. As long yeah. as it's got the right intent, you know, it's a, a well-managed risk if you yep. know what I mean, it, it's not for the sake of it, then I think you should be on safe space. But I do think people are, brands who've never really invested in their, um, are the ones that are struggling the most. So, for example, like someone like Nike, who've always known how to speak to their audience, who their audience are, can sort of do the most wonderful um, communications even in COVID because they know how to speak in whatever times. And COVID wasn't a brief, but they could apply themselves to to do something meaningful in that environment, which is you know years of incredible um, work, knowing who they are, you yeah. know. But um, yeah, I, it's it, research has taken a bit of the fun out of it, to be honest. Um, what do you, you see
0: know. research doing? What does it? How does it get in the way?
1: Um, humor doesn't research well generally, so. Yes. So that can be quite tricky. Um, it depends how research is being used, but sometimes it can just flatten everything out. It it means it means something to everyone and nothing to anyone, kind of thing. You know, you know, it's like it's like being the you know the tallest short thing. It becomes it doesn't really become a thing anymore. So I mean, research can just take out some of the spontaneity and the happy accidents of, of creativity sometimes, not always. And it depends how it's used. It depends what it's meant for. But again, I'm talking generally, but sometimes it just doesn't always make things better.
0: So uh, for those of us who aren't in the, uh, in the agency world, um, you know, so for someone who isn't familiar with, with what you're doing, day-to-day how does research come into it is that when you get a new brief in and someone's assigned to find out what the consumer's already like
1: well there's the, the sometimes there's sometimes there's two two parts to the research so there's a bit before it gets it so you know maybe the the finding out um a role for the brand within a market where it fits um sometimes it's about demographic who the target market is so there's little bits of research but the bit that really hits uh, us the most is when we've been set a brief, we've done some amazing creative, but it needs to be tested in market to see see the responses. That's where we get the sort of thing. So, you know, famously, Guinness, um, not Guinness, but famously Cadbury's Gorilla flopped massively. Um, Yet yeah, they still, the, the, you know, the marketing director obviously still ran it and it's...
0: It, it flopped uh, during the market research phase.
1: Yeah. it Because there's two types of market research. There's a, There's qualitative and there's quantitative. So there's one which comes up with um, and there's obviously there's also that ipsos stuff which does brainwaves. There's all these different variants that don't aren't always the best way to test creative work. So create, some creative can get lost within that process because the school it it comes out as numbers, which is does my brain in yeah and the numbers don't work so unless it gets the numbers it doesn't get made so so that can sometimes trip great creative up See, Not I can't
0: Im- but i can't imagine how that would work So we've got this idea it's cadbury's gorilla it's a guy in a gorilla suit or is it cgi i don't know uh rehearsing uh the drum fill for phil collins in the air tonight all right where do you show the product we don't all right uh wh- where's the call to action there isn't one Okay, yeah. so so wh- wh- how and then what happens? They go, okay, we showed it to these people, and thirty percent of them liked it.
1: <laughs> yeah, or or what they they will do something about. So they'll say at the end of that, can you tell me what the product recall is? And everyone goes, uh, not really, not so. Do, Did do you know what I mean? It depends yeah. on what they asked. and if those scores are low, they it probably had quite high engagement because it's quite an inter, in, interesting piece of film, but maybe it didn't do enough of the brand as it as they needed it to do. But um, but yeah, so it's just good when, you know, you have to have, for great creative to exist, it has to be a partnership with the client and the agency in order to make these things. Work. Like, you know, uh, Fernando at Burger King has great relationships with his agencies and he gets great work, you know. So if you get that great sort of, you have to have a client who's 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 like minded with you as well, or work with them because otherwise, you know, you can't, you know, pull the wool over their eyes and give them something that they know they're never going to buy or want, or is not going to do them any well. Or, or you're soft soap them into something that actually is and it's something that's not going to do them any favors. So yeah, you have to go on the journey together. Really, I think with with creativity.
0: Interesting. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't get through to any music because you said something oh. when, we, when we talked the other day. You said something great. You said music is how you decorate time.
1: Yeah no well I I I, I walk I, I walk past a board and um and uh, we have them around here they call them street boards and um, there was a quote and it's and look I've got I shall actually send it to you because mm. I, I took a picture of it just to so I could reference again yes it, we'll
0: uh, we'll put it up on the edit
1: it says um, art is how we decorate space music is how we decorate time it's Sean Michelle Basquiat you know the artist the American New York artist so yeah it's a beautiful thing that and I yeah I'm I'm
0: down on that yeah and it sounded like when we spoke before because normally I ask is music important to you or not which I I I think that's a bad question going forward because usually if people talk to me about this it is but you said that it's important to you to keep your spirits up you actually use it almost like a you know almost like a substance dare I say to keep you happy
1: it's a crutch it definitely is if i'm sli- if i am slightly nervous or if i'm slightly anxious or if i'm in slightly a down mood i will definitely use it as a mood enhancer i will i will pop my airpods in and i will pump something into my ears normally something very like unashamedly cheesy like uh, an earth wind and fire September just to put a bounce in my step just something because you can't the way it, it affects your brain you can't help but kind of put you in a space which makes you happy so are you definitely it's it's a mood enhancer for me I can I think I'm quite a sensitive little soul I struggle with uh, apart from the carpenters who I don't mind they I don't mind them making me feel a bit sad but I'm not sort of one of those people that can sit and really in a in a in a really upset in music space because it just I wear it too heavily.
0: Yeah, no, it is very strongly affecting. And um,
1: definitely uh, yeah, it brings you up. And I think a lot of music it is I love is its transportative nature. It's just it connects you to a time when, and that also has this transformational effect on your brain because it can take you quite it can shortcut you quite quickly to a space where there was maybe a nicer, happier, better time. And you can indulge that sort of memory. You know, it makes some kind of connection in your brain, which is, you know, you can place yourself. It, it transports you to a space, which I love about music.
0: Is there anything specific you go back to?
1: Uh Well, like Supertramp. Supertramp will always remind me of my mum's... Um, a kid going to the beach with my mum in her convertible uh, Triumph Herald, you know, and so the music of my childhood was, you know, I will always remember like Supertramp, even Barry Manilow, a bit of Babs, a bit of Barbara Streisand and, you know, like, and actually that's another one of my happy tunes is um, um, No More Tears, Babs and um, Donna. You know, like just that because it connects me to that time when things felt a lot simpler and a lot easier. Whenever I was, I was actually born and bred in a Surrey village called Chobham. But our nearest town was Woking, and um, they're famous for the jam. You know, Paul Weller and the Jam. Yeah. So whenever I, so whenever I hear the Star Council, the Jam, I always think of home. Yeah, so I feel, feel quite proud of uh, of the Jam, and then from where around where I live. The Stranglers were they are actually initially called the Guildford Stranglers there was quite a, there was a pub called the Wooden Bridge which is quite a mod pub but they played there a lot um and Sham 69 was Hersham which is you know Hersham Boys was literally up the road so all those sort of bands really remind me of my kind of simpler teenage times when we oh, we were reckless with no parental guidance um sort of mucking about
0: yeah no the best times and the the best the best music to go with it was there any was there any one uh, artist that really captured your imagination at any point?
1: David Bowie.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. Bowie will always, Bowie will always be the, because he had it all. Yeah. And, and the world, I mean, the world's gone wrong. Uh, I think we've all noticed since David Bowie died, we still yes. miss that guy, uh, it's just a pure artist, pure genius, his lyrics, his music. And he kind of, he, he went through different phases. He didn't stick with anything. He changed all the way through, but he was a good human. And he sort of didn't take himself too seriously as well. Yeah. And I love that about him because he used to muck about. So I think Bowie will be always be my kind of, you know, constant throughout. Yeah. And yeah. I mean... Heroes. I mean, when the Olympians walked out to heroes, not a dry eye in the house. I mean, that is one of the most emotional songs in the in the world.
0: Um. Yeah, yeah. And he um, was kind of the ultimate creative. Obviously, uh, it was the thing about him was that he was able to gracefully go through these radically different phases you know long hair glam high heels short hair suit bit of a 90s beard Trent Reznor sound jazz at the end it's like yeah. and none of it ever seemed wrong and it always seemed like completely it, on brand
1: it, and it didn't ever feel he was trying too hard to be anything it all felt authentic i mean i mean who has ever made dying like that in such an art form you <laughs> what i mean black star it just blows my mind it's yeah. incredible
0: can you can you stand to Watch the 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 music video for Lazarus, where he gets into the cupboard at the end.
1: Not, 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 I mean, I find that difficult. I, yeah. you know, I sort of peek at it and then I peek away at it. I peek yeah. at it, and I'm, yeah, but it, it's it's, um, yeah, it's difficult. Another song that always comes to me, and it's it, it which because I've got three, my children are a bit bigger now. Like I've got a twenty-one-year-old, a nineteen-year-old, and a fifteen-year-old. But when about five years ago. I took them on a road trip around um, California and we'd hired a car and we drove through up from Vegas up to Tahoe where we got friends. And so, and we, I mean, it's horrendous. When I mean, I love, I mean, road trips are my favourites in the world, but my daughter had made some, um, um, music compilation thing, she'd burnt them on CD and the song that we could all agree on because, you know, there's a lot of different tastes and age groups and ranges going on there, but the one that really united us was bizarrely Elton John's Tiny Dancer. Yeah. That, that was literally, if so, if I ever hear that song, that would take me to driving a car through the desert, like through Death Valley with my kids and we were all singing this song and at, at watching the thermometer on the, you know, on the, um, dashboard at 108 going you know that yeah. is so that's That's what I mean about this incredible transportative nature you, so I can listen to that now and I'll, I'm, I'm in a car in the desert, that's what yeah. that, I mean it'll be different obviously, if, I mean I guess for some people it'll be a John Lewis ad with a girl driving around, um, ride, dancing around a living room knocking into things that Oh yeah,
0: well I mean I I got I think I was the odd one out I, I got quite worked up at the, the Elton John uh, John Lewis had that they did. Um, because, you know, so everyone in this office was like, they don't even sell pianos. What are they doing? Elton John, bit of an arse. But, um, uh, Elton John was something I got into when I was about 14 when I was learning the piano. And, um, you know, my, and it, my mum bought me a piano when I was 18 and it kind of had um, a parallel yeah, thing going parallels, on for Yeah.
1: Did, oh my God, though, did you watch that? What was that thing? You know, Lady Gaga did that, um, that thing. Why was he singing I'm Dildand in? Did, did
0: uh, I've seen him uh, perform live once, but in the last 10 years, he kind of did l- uh, lose the ability to enunciate properly, uh, you know, because he can't hit the high notes anymore. And it's, yeah, it comes out very rough. I imagine yeah. it's a, singing things a thousand times just takes it out of you.
1: Yeah, maybe. Well, I had, to, I, I booked it pretty, uh, last year. So 2019, mm-hmm. I tickets for elton john for 2020 and it's now just been cut off to 21 yes i've got to wait another year and a half or something to see him at the never-ending
0: retirement tour
1: exactly i know that that was always the joke with status quo wasn't it they like doing another comeback they had more comebacks than anybody else in the world i think
0: well the, the question is if you can sell tickets why would you ever retire because it's the best job in the world when you get up there
1: Greatest job in the world
0: yeah. yeah yeah and so on the Bowie thing but briefly what um obviously black star was quite difficult to get through and you know my dad was born 57 which meant you know 70s was his time and he said I could really only listen to that album once because it was so affecting like he said did you were, were you quite affected by it
1: I'm hugely affected by it but but hugely <whistles> because I it was released just before he died wasn't it
0: yeah, well, yeah. two days I think two days.
1: Yeah, and so I think I listened to it and then it was harder to listen to it again because you we didn't know. But now you see it and like some of those videos, you can see when he's you can hear in his breath that kind of um mm. the lungs they were obviously because from the from the treatment. So it's really, really, but it's so profoundly beautiful at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was... It is difficult, difficult to listen to. But when you see the video that um oh, God, the um, the Swedish guy who directed it, Lars, um, not Lars. Oh, I can't remember his name. I'm having it. It's Friday afternoon. I'm having a, ni- a name blank, but the Swedish director. Um,
0: just, we'll put it up on the screen.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, um, when you see when he's got it close to his throat, and he's got those black things. It's just haunting and he's mm. struggling for breath. And then you sort of, you see it all again. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's extraordinary. What so about
0: Um moving across to the creative world? Oh the yeah, I would say the creative world, it's all creative, isn't it? The advertising world, the world of selling stuff. Um, what is I have to I have to ban surfer because everyone always goes straight to there. Is there um uh, a piece of film, you know, a bit of creative work, good T V C where the music was absolutely on point and you really remember it?
1: Uh, Levi's
0: Creed. Yeah, that's another one.
1: Yeah, Levi's Creed was incredible. I think that was just one. Because that was that was quite a seminal moment watching that because that was sort of when, when music crossed over into, into the sort of real world, as in, you know, that track went on to sell. Levi's did such a brilliant job with music. They were one of the first kind of brands, I think, that really took that on as a cultural piece and pushed it out, you know, into... Into the charts as it was at the time, you know, that they, they, were, they were real music, real bands. So I think that really, really stuck. They always did music so mad about the boy with the swimmer, you know, and um, the Liar Liar, the Tom, is it Tom Petty, the, the through the um streets of New Orleans? They're, they were incredible pieces of music,
0: yeah. Well, BBH did some really, really cool work in the 90s yeah. and pushed some of those brands way up and you know when I spoke to Hugh Todd for this he said I don't know if Levi's is quite where it once was and I thought I suppose not people my age don't really think about Levi's that much no
1: they, no, they, they definitely aren't what they they almost became there's that anomaly when you become almost too mass it's quite interesting you know like when you become too big you stop being that cool thing and they did start making some of these little boutique smaller shops As one they used to be anyway in Carnaby Street which was supposed to be their more sort of niche call cool, arranged, I think, to try and retain, but I'm not sure they ever got back to the, you know, the Flat Erics and the yeah. and kind of like those amazing, Vaughan and Anthea did those ads and Michael Houseman And then of course at the end, uh, Gondry did drugs. I mean, drugstore is incredible. Biosphere on drugs, an incredible use of music, which, you know, you, you mix those black and white photos, that incredible start photography with that. And it's 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 a really, really... Inspiring kind of choice of music. There
0: is there anything that you've worked on um, or any work that you've directed where the music was really working for you?
1: Yeah, loads. And my mind's gone blank. Like, uh, but, 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 oh, uh, I worked. Oh, God, God, love Jonathan Goldman. You know the most incredible composer. I worked. I I had the privilege of working with him and his wife in a studio in. Islington and it was for I can't remember what it was for I think it might have even been a Nest Nescafe job something like that. But but he did a full orchestrated piece and we went and we listened to that and that was Goosebumps
0: and did he uh, record it like properly
1: yeah it had yeah. a full orchestra recorded properly and yeah. that it was like Nothing else. It was extraordinary. That was goose. That was a. I feel so privileged. I wrote to his family and said, "I just need to let you know that was one of the most privileged um, moments of my life, being able to be partied to listening to it, it, it was. It was almost. It was so moving. It was incredible. That that yeah. really stands out as one of my most, you know, um, incredible musical experiences I mean that's the thing that advertising can do for you you know if you, you can work with these incredible people and you'll get parted to things that you wouldn't normally get to um, and these orchestrations and these and and these artists and these sort of incredible sort of musicians and composers So that was an honor that was that was incredible
0: yeah yeah it's um, similar to when I spoke to James Cross BBC he said the best day of my career so far was going down to Abbey Road to do the World Cup
1: yeah.
0: Russian piece.
1: Yeah, it was a piece. It was a place. It again, uh, it's a famous studio off Islington, off up Upper Street. Is it Air Studio? Maybe
0: that sounds yeah. right. I should know, really, but um,
1: yeah, I think it, I think it might be that. And um yeah, I, I I remember everything about that day. My memory is not great at times. It's as um, forgets a lot of things, but it remembers that really as being as such an extraordinary you, you you know when you know that was a special day, you just yeah. think that and and that's that that doesn't happen every day, you know. It, it was it was extraordinary, yeah.
0: Yeah. Is there um is there is there work you've ever been on where the uh there was a music uh there was a there was choice of music that was really working for it, but it didn't get over the line with the client.
1: At loads of times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and also i tell you what's also quite interesting is, is when you, because again, you sometimes, you know, you want, we want to know the client wants to know what music to put on before you shot it. And you go this one, this one, this one, this one, and then you shoot it and go, oh, well that doesn't work. You know, it, and that's also, it's really hard sometimes to, to sort of know until you've got what you've got what's how it's going to work together, and you can be so convinced that what you've got is really going to work brilliantly, and then you play it and you go, "Oh no, that's not working at all."
0: Yeah, yeah. I forget that not everyone has a shortcut to that because when we get sent um, uh, uh, and you know an edit, and we immediately just start putting stuff on it, writing stuff to it, and we see straight away that's working, that's not working. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I, yeah, I I, 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 exactly. I can always tell within like the first. Within ten seconds, if it's working or not, yeah. So that's got to stop. But so, which is why we always try. I always try. You know, you have you have your top three, don't you? And 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 as and I know that you know editors are brilliant as well at music sometimes as well, and they they they'll put a track on the first edit that you hadn't gone. You go, oh, I think famously didn't um uh, Tom and Walt's. Dunlop had. I think the editor might have put a track on that. The um, Velvet Underground, which was inspired as well. It's a great bit of music for that.
0: But of course, one thing that's happened um, over, maybe you've seen it over the course of your career, but now um, people come up against uh, outrageous demands for sync prices for, you know, the price of a track.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I don't know if that always was the case.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, but I think, but I think, yeah, it's always been quite a thing. But I I just guess, you know, the way that music has been, everything's been squashed a little bit. Music sometimes is the thing wrongly that gets squeezed out because it's like, oh, we'll just get that, you know, it, it, it appears that it can be cut yes. simply in some of the other things. I don't agree with it, but it does happen. I have seen it happen, you know, that it's just like, oh, you know, we can get. We, we want this one, then you've got a composition, then you've got a library, you know, it goes, yeah, yeah. and comes all the way down. But, you know, some, some times it, it, it kind of works well, but, you know, it, it, it is difficult, But because sometimes the prices, like you say, are just extraordinary.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we move forward, and um, I suppose we come towards the end of the session. I wonder what um, advice you might have young people who want to get into the industry or why they you know, why they, why it's a good thing to do if you are creatively talented, but haven't really yet figured out a direction?
1: Well, despite some of the, you know, nothing nowadays is that easy. It is still the greatest um, job in the world because you get to make shit up every day. There is no one answer to what you do. It's just what you present and what you think it could be because the great thing about creativity is it isn't, it isn't a, isn't an equation with a, with a solution. It's, it's what you buy into and what you choose to do. Therefore, no two days are the same. You get to, you know, maybe not now, but I have been traveled in my, in my time. Um, I, you work with great directors, composers, um, actresses, actors, talent and all that sort of stuff, it is what you make it, it you will get you'll get out what you put in and that makes it really exciting, it makes it vibrant and you get to see your work out in, in, in the real world um, yeah I think it's a really really exciting landscape to be working in right now as well, it's just you know if you have those ideas and you can sort of um, want to see them through it's a great kind of place to go Don't give up.